Father, we thank you for this great time where we come to celebrate the goodness of your Spirit. God, we thank you that uh, we are blessed beyond measure, blessed with so great a salvation for all who receive, blessed with the opportunity to freely worship, to learn, to grow, to serve, to give, to share. Lord, I pray today that as we listen, as we receive from you, that we would not just receive, but we would give back of our very heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, I've entitled this sermon, The Journey, and many of you are familiar with the journey that we've been in the last two and a half years. Uh, Two and a half years ago, we started a a commitment uh, to raise money for the building that you currently are in, and we're so thankful that we are here, and uh, hopefully we're going to finish that up uh, by the first of the year. And so we had a little over four million com- committed, and we've got a little over three million that has been given a- at this point. And so if you are part of that, we want to encourage you to, to finish it. If not, we want you to prayerfully consider being a part. There's an envelope in the back of your pew, and uh, as we complete this, uh, we want to be more and better servants for Christ. Uh, we want to put more of our money into missions. We felt like this was necessary. We had gone to the point where we were doing four services, and we've been able to slide that back and also have plenty of room for our students. Any of you that had students, you knew how crowded they were. Our children were crowded. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the truth now. We've been breaking fire code for about two years, and our children, I didn't want to tell you that because I figured you'd leave. Uh, but we were breaking fire code uh, for the last two years that we were in our old building with our children and our youth, okay? So we were actually illegal at any point. They could have come down and just shut the door and said, all right, no more. Uh, get these kids out of here. Uh, so I didn't want to do that when we were starting this because I didn't think that was a good way to go about it. By the way, it's so crowded in there that it's illegal for your children to be in there. Uh, but nevertheless, if you were a part of it, if you ever helped in the children's ministry, you already knew that. All right, you already knew what was going on. So God has blessed us abundantly and given us the opportunity to give the proper space that was needed for our children and our students, and uh, they are greatly benefiting for it. And uh, we've got numerous mission groups that are out right now, and we're thankful for what God is doing as we are continuing on our journey. But we want you to prayerfully consider being a part of what God is doing as we make more and better followers of Christ. And one of the ways that you can do that, quite frankly, is by giving. So would you pray and uh, look at your budget and pray to God and ask him, how can we be a part of the journey? Well, as we talk about the journey, really, it reminds me, you know, the journey that I know best is the one that I've been on. And I was, as I was looking at this sermon, and as we'll look in uh, Genesis chapter 12 here just a moment in the story of Abraham, who was also on a journey, I, I reflected back this week about the journey that God placed me specifically on. And, and I, thought about, uh, I thought about a time, uh, my senior year in high school, where God really just kind of landed on me and convicted me to give all that I had uh, to him, my life. Not just showing up at church on Sunday, not just trying to be good. Uh, I remember, I, I, I've told you this story before, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, I, just st- I, I decided that I wouldn't drink anything and that um, I would burn all my rock and roll albums. I even bo- burned my go- uh, Willie Nelson gospel album kind of wish I had that one back now, but nevertheless, 
Uh, I, I burned everything. It was a good time for me to purge. I'm not recommending that you all go out and burn all your records. Uh, but it was a good, good thing for me. It was, it was a time to make a step uh, in my spiritual walk and my commitment to Christ, which was nominal, which was just going to church on Sunday, which really didn't impact my life. Uh, past, I had my fire insurance, so to speak. And so that was kind of how I, what I thought about Christianity and God. Uh, stepped into my life in a significant way, and as I followed him, he was faithful. And uh, then I went on to college and <clears throat> ended up uh, seeing, I shared this with you before, so many of you before, uh, I remember going to this retreat after my freshman year was over, and they had some missionaries up there who had served <clears throat> and done missions the previous summer, and some of them had been in Africa. And they got up and they talked about how they didn't, <clears throat> they didn't bathe, but uh, once a week, and they bathed out of a bucket, and it was sweaty, and flies, and it was hot, and the food was bad, and they got sick. And I'm thinking, you are a nut. Why would you do that? Why would you want to go do that? And I remember just praying my heart, and, just, and you know, they were talking with a smile on this face, and how it was life-changing. And I remember praying, I said, God, I wish you could do that to me. Because I just don't see the day that I want to go, hey, send me to Africa. I want to go. I just couldn't see it. Send me to some place that's hot and doesn't have uh, water, good water. I, that's where I want to go. I, I didn't. Zero desire. Couldn't, couldn't even imagine doing that. And so I just began praying. I remember making that my prayer and saying, God, would you mature me to that point? I can't imagine ever being that mature. Uh, but I, I, want to, I want to invite you to, to try to mature my heart, grow me. And it was really through the process of some Bible studies and discipleship. By the time I got to my junior year, God had completely transformed my heart. And so I signed up. I wanted to go to Africa. And ironically, they weren't going to Africa that year. They were sending most everyone to the Philippines. I'm thinking, that's not going to be so great. That's not a big challenge. Isn't that kind of like Hawaii? Those are just islands, and that'll be, you know, cool air and going to the beach all the time. And that's not what it was like at all. Uh, I mean, it was a third-world country, and I went to the most southern part of uh, the, the Philippines, which is far away from Manila, the, the capital city, as you could get. And, and it was very difficult. Uh, I, and I got to bathe out of a bucket. I, I, the good news is I got to bathe every day out of a bucket instead of once a week. And uh, it was hot, and there was no refrigeration and no air conditioning. And uh, it was one of the most growing times, if not the most growing time in my spiritual life. God really transformed <clears throat> my life and my attitude. I came back, <clears throat> was teaching school and coaching, and... Uh, I remember one night, it was after the athletics banquet, I walked out, and our, our sports programs had done very well, and I walked out, and I was thinking, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this, should I just keep doing this? And I, I, and I really enjoyed coaching, and, uh, but God kind of put on my heart, I, I want you to go to seminary. I didn't know what that meant. <clears throat> I was working part-time at a little church, but didn't know what that meant. just felt like I needed to learn. I, I recognized how much I didn't know and how I needed to grow, so I began to pray and I was just going to go to New Orleans because that was close, and I knew I had friends over there. And God just convicted me I needed to take a step of faith, and so I began to look around and found myself at Southwestern Seminary, and uh, some doors opened up. I later became a youth pastor, uh, and later ended up at uh, Prestonwood uh, down the road. At the time, I called it Preston World, uh, Prestonwood, and uh, went there, and uh, it was a great experience there. Had a good job. My, I was married. And uh, we didn't have any children. Life was good. And um, I, I didn't mean it that way, of course. And uh, it was easy. And I was sitting in my big office one day, and I was just convicted again, is this, is this the end? Is this it? 
And I go, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable. I remember talking to my wife. I go, you know, God's just kind of stirred my heart. I don't know if it means to plant or something. She goes, what would planting look like? I said, it means, you know, we'd go start a church somewhere where there needed to be one. She goes, you mean where there were a bunch of people in a building? I said, there probably wouldn't be any of that. She goes, I don't think that's what God wants us to do at all. And uh, I said, you're probably right. And so I continued to serve there and began to get a little unrestless. But it was easy. It was good. You know, quite frankly, you know, I had a, a good salary and a good team. And uh, just, just seemed like the great, great place to be. And God just kept stirring me and stirring me. And finally, we began to look at some other opportunities. And my wife was praying. And uh, we were visiting with this pastor who invited us to move to Atlanta uh, to be an executive teaching pastor there. And, and she said, what do you think? I said, you know, God still has this stirring to go do uh, a, a church plant, a new work somewhere. She goes, well, let's just pray and see what God does here. So we went to Atlanta and on the way... She had asked God to show her a very specific thing, a very specific word, and that pastor spoke that message as we were leaving uh, without knowing, having any idea what he was saying or what he was talking about. And we got on the plane. She goes, I'm ready. And so, uh, and it was a scary time because all of a sudden we were going to leave, uh, quite frankly, we were going to leave two sure salaries, one in pharmaceutical sales and one at a church. And all of a sudden we were going to go try to raise money and start in our living room. And, and there was a cost. Can I, can I tell you, one of the reasons I didn't do it before is because there was a cost. I've noticed that just about every time God calls me, there's a cost associated with a call. When there's a call, there's usually a cost. <clears throat> what we want is we want a call and no cost. And those usually don't, it usually doesn't work that way. Uh, for me, it never works that way. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, so we came and we started the church at Lantana. You know the story. I don't want to bore you to tears because you've heard it a hundred times. If not, go get the CD. Go on our website. And uh, we started in our living room, and there was about a dozen of us, and uh, just neat deal. And I had all these plans on how it was going to work, had this syllabus and this perspective. Here's all the outreach things. Here's the things we're going to do. And um, none of that worked. I'm telling you that book, burn it. It, 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 it. Sometimes I'll ask church planters, can I see your syllabus? I said, you don't want to see that. Nothing in it worked. It, was, it just didn't go well at all. I, I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe it worked for you. Nothing in it worked for me. Matter of fact, uh, God decided to just do everything differently. Uh, just for numerous reasons, doors that got closed that I was concerned about, but God used mightily. Uh, I told you my wife left her job to come out here. And so she said, you know, the swimming pool's open. I'm certified lifeguard. I'm going to go up there and see if I can teach some swim lessons. I said, that would be great. Uh, we could use $7 an hour. Going up there. And so, <clears throat> so she went up there, and about 10 minutes later, she called me back. And she goes, they want me to be the manager. Can you believe that? I got to think about it. Yeah, because everybody else up there is 16 and 17, aren't they? And she, she goes, yeah, they are. And uh, that's why she, they want you to be the manager, honey. And so she became the manager, and little did I know that would be, uh, that'd be the most effective outreach that we would have. Uh, she was in the pool at the time, Lantana. We were just the 42nd family that moved in. And so there, there weren't enough families that I, I wasn't even smart enough, that, enough to know, hey, that's not enough families really to start because that didn't mean they're all going to come to your church. And we're called the church at Lantana. And we're meeting in a home, and people thought that was kind of weird too. And uh, we were waiting for the school to awake, to, to open. And through that swimming pool, she began to meet all these moms who were moving in, who didn't know anybody and were wanting to connect. And um, matter of fact, she'd call me, look, there's another family here. Come on up. So I'd gone up. And we ended up having 14 families that ended up visiting and being a part of our church from the swimming pool. And they need, matter of fact, the McHughes, we met them. They were running the sound and lights last night. We met them at the swimming pool. It's just kind of neat how God makes a way 
uh, when sometimes there's not a way or it's not the way that we intended to go, intended for things to see. And it's certainly true as you look in Abraham's life, isn't it? Uh, As we look at Genesis chapter 12, think about what God called. Think about the journey that God called Abraham on. In chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to land that I will show you. He's not even telling him specifically where it is. I want you to get up and I want you to go and I'm going to show it to you. When you say yes, when you start, when you begin, I will give further instructions. I will give you the revelation that is needed. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed for Haran I love that story I love that beginning here's a man on the back side of his life of course uh, it appears that people lived older back then but nevertheless uh, he's not 19 or 20 God's calling him and said I want you to get up and I want you to go. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you as you need to be shown. I'll give you the revelation that you need for the next day. Have you ever been there? Where God's stirring your heart and you go, God, where do you want me? And he's going, I want you to be faithful. I want you to take one more step. No, but where's that going to go? We're we're so consumed with that uh, in our... um, affluent cultures in, in America, we want to know exactly where it is. Well, I'll tell you where it ends. Uh, it ends in eternity, okay? It's going to end, end in heaven or hell if you want to know that far. But here on earth, God usually just gives the revelation that we are, we are able and willing to obey. It's like a child. Have you ever been in a car uh, with a child and you're taking a trip somewhere and they keep going, how much longer? We're going to get there? We're going to get there. Does that minister to your heart? Does that encourage you? You know what you wait for? You wait for the day till that child has matured, and you go, you know what? It's going to be about three hours, so if you want to look on your clock. But, you know, there are things that could happen. We might have a flat. Your mom might have to go to the bathroom three times. We might have to stop at a flea market. You know, there are a lot of things that could happen, so I can't promise you, but I'm going to give you an approximate guesstimation of how long it might take us to get there. And you wait for the time when they quit saying, when do we get there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But spiritually, most of us are still saying, God, am I there yet? Am I there yet? And he's saying, be faithful, and I will show you. I will show you the next step. But God, I want to see the final destination. I want to see the end result. I want to see what I get. What did God tell Abraham? Go from your country, your kindred house, to the land that I will show you. Start. Begin the journey. He still calls us today to begin the journey. So what does it look like to begin the journey? Well, first of all, as a believer in Christ, we begin with what we believe. We begin with believing. And what we believe is what we've learned from the Word of God. What it means to be a follower of Christ. What we've learned. And what we believe. What do we believe here at Rock Point? Well, there's some basic tenets of the faith that we believe cross evangelical Christianity, and they go like this. That God is holy, pure, and perfect. He is the God of the universe. He's not 
one of the gods. He is the God. We're monotheistic in our, in our view. And we believe that when we say God, we're talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that mankind and all of, all of us are sinners. And we cannot have a relationship with God without our sin being covered. So through the, through the person of Jesus Christ, part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ gave his life and gave his blood to cover our sins, to cover our unholiness, our sin, so that we may be made holy before God. And that salvation is a gift from God that we can only receive by faith. And it is made possible through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible has revealed that truth to us. Those are basic tenets of the faith that we must believe. And one of the reasons that we have, a, 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 we have a program called the Trek is so that you understand the core beliefs of the faith. And I challenge you to take these if you've not done it yet. It's important that you have the core of your faith grounded. Secondly is becoming. We believe, we become. Become what? Becoming followers of Christ. Be- belong belong is the next word, excuse me, before become, belong. It's important that we belong somewhere. You know, when the Bible talks about the church, it never talks about it as an individual. Sometimes people say, I just do church at home by myself. No, you don't. You may pray by yourself. You may read the Bible by yourself, but uh, that's an oxymoron to say you do church by yourself because it is the assembling. It is the ecclesia, the gathering of the believers for one common purpose, uh, to bring worship and praise and glory to God Almighty. So it is an imperative that we belong. And so you have to decide, where am I going to belong locally? Maybe it's here, maybe it's not. Maybe you have another church, that's great. Maybe God has you visiting and he's leading you to the church down the road. That's, that's great, wherever God leads you to belong. We encourage you to do that, to belong And when you belong, to belong to a small group or to a Bible study, to a ministry area where you can plug into the body of Christ and learn so that you might believe and then serve. So important that we belong. So on our spiritual journey, we start with believing. Next, we belong. And third, we become. We become. Becoming what? A, A follower of Christ. And what does a follower of Christ look like? I can tell you what a follower of Christ looks like. It's one who believes the word of God. It's one who serves the kingdom of God. It's one who gives to the kingdom of God of their time, talents, and resource. That's what it means to become. Sometimes on our journey and our call, we stop short because we come to a segment and we go, I don't want to do that. I want to take another step. I don't want to take that class. Well, son, to graduate, you're going to have to Take another English. I'm going to take enough math. I don't want to. I'm not going to do that. Well, that's all well and good. You just got a bunch of classes with no degree. That's close to where I was before I graduated. I had a lot of classes. <clears throat> Matter of fact, I don't like to brag, but I probably have more minors than anybody in this room. <laughs> but you come to a place to where there are certain classes, there are certain things that you have to take if you're going to finish. Sometimes in our faith, God has us in a class that we don't want to be in. Matter of fact, we go, I'm not even signing up. I'm not signing up to serve. I'm not signing up to give. I'm not signing up to learn. I'm just here. I'm just showing up. And we wonder why things are dry. 
and we wonder why God doesn't move and God doesn't work. We must believe, we must belong, and we must become. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, you see the offering and the sacrificial system. There's five basic offerings that were used uh, in the Old Testament to deal with our sinful nature. Uh, The first one was the burnt offering, and the burnt offering was the whole burnt offering. And it was done on behalf of the people. Every day a lamb would be burnt, uh, and it would be sacrificed on behalf of the nation's sins. The next one was a grain offering. It usually went in conjunction with a burnt offering, and the people would bring grain, and they would give it, and it would be used as part of the offering process of the recognition of God Almighty. And then there was the peace offering. The peace offering was one that was giving that was one just basically a, a thanksgiving offering because you had maybe been blessed because of what had happened with your children or because you'd taken a new wife or because you had been blessed with a child. Matter of fact, that's what Hannah did when she gave that peace offering when the prophet told her, look, God spoke to her and said, look, you're going to have a son even in your old age. And she comes and she brings a peace offering, a time of thanksgiving, uh, a, something that you had not expected and you were just so thankful for that you want to praise him. And then there were the sin and the transgression offering. These are very similar and a little bit complicated, but the best way for us to understand it in our vernacular today is the sin offering uh, was one of uh, not necessarily meditated sin. In other words, you sinned, but you you weren't intending to. You didn't premeditate. You didn't set out to sin, but... Uh, you ended up lying to someone or you ended up uh, breaking some kind of ceremonial law. It wasn't your intention, but you did that. And so there was an offering for that that you would bring. And then finally, there was the, uh, the transgression offering, so to speak. Uh, the offering of guilt or transgression in which you had premeditated. You knew what you were doing. You had done it on purpose. And usually it involved restitution as well. Maybe you had stolen from someone uh, there had been a cost someone, and you would have to put 20% upon, you would restore that, you'd offer a sacrifice, and then you would add another 20% to it. So there was a pretty elaborate system to deal with mankind's sin. There was also a tithing system, which equated to about 22% uh, of a person's uh, income. At, at least that's the way we would maybe qualify. It was the, an agrarian society at that time, so a lot of it was given uh, as food uh, or as livestock. There were three different tithes that we see in the Bible. The first tithe that was given was for the priest and the Levites. Uh, those were the religious leaders of that day. And so the first tithe was given there. The second tithe uh, was given for the temple and for worship and celebration. So the upkeep of the temple, the building of the temple, anything that needed to require, the temple required. And uh, then for worship and celebration. So the feast that they would involve themselves in. Sometimes they would have the great elaborate feast, and we see those uh, seven different feasts located in the scriptures. And this was part of that money would go for the feast. And then the third tithe was for the poor. And uh, we don't have time to get into it, but it was a, there was a specific one that was done every three years. But then there are also continual ways that you would provide for the poor. And that was kind of the system that God set up for them in the Old Testament. Well, today, you know, we, we get to a lot of questions, a lot of arguments about, is the tithe biblical? Well, let me say the tithe is biblical. That's not the question. The question is, what does the tithe mean? And there are really four different perspectives that people take. Right here in Abraham, or in Genesis, and uh, we won't go to it, but I encourage you to read it, 
there are two different sections that talk about the tithe in the Old Testament. Uh, you would see it in fourteen, uh, in uh, chapter 14 of Genesis, verses uh, 18 through 20. You have Melchizedek. Heck, let's just go to it. You've you got time. Uh, let's look at 14, verses 18 through 20. Chapter 14, verse 18 through 20. And what does the Bible say? And Melchizedek, I wish we had time to get in him, the king of Salem. Many believe Salem, which means peace, Jerusalem, a city of peace. Uh, many believe this was the city of Jerusalem. He was the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. Now, many people also think that this is a Christophany. In other words, a physical expression of Christ before his time. A lot of debates over who he is exactly. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high who has delivered you into the hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we see him giving a tenth. Uh, we also see Jacob doing the same thing in um, 28-22, Genesis 28-22. And he makes a commitment to God. And he says, God, I will give you a tenth of everything I have. Now here becomes a question, first of all, uh, recognize this. This is before the law is put into place. Okay? Sometimes people will say, well, Ty, that was, that was in the law. Actually, this is before the law. So why, why did they have it? Now, I can't even give you a good answer. Okay? We just know that there was a tithing process even before the law of Moses. Now, why? Well, some believe uh, that it was custom. That was cultural. Uh, and that, that could be accurate. That people would, had kind of picked in that society, in that culture at that time, they would give 10% uh, to the deity that they believed, the de- deity that they served the most, that they loved the most, that they felt like could help them the most. So that's one, one explanation. It was customary. It was part of the culture. Uh, we know there were other cultures that would, quote, tithe to their gods during that time. Uh, some would regard it as a legal tax. It was kind of like a tax that you had to do. And, and uh, it was a legal obligation. Some would say, well, it was a dispensation. It was for that time period. It's not valid before or after, but for that time period, that's the way God did it. But you know how I choose to look at it? Kind of like with Abraham and with Jacob, that J- Jacob said in, in chapter 28, he recognized it was from God. I believe it's a recognition of who God is and that every good gift comes from the Father above. So I don't believe it's a tax. It's a legal tax that you have to pay. I don't believe it's necessarily just a custom, although it may be. I don't think it was just a dispensation. But it's a recognition of what God has provided and that everything comes from his hand. And so that's something good for us to remember as we consider our giving and as we consider what God does with what we've been given. Uh, the truth of it is, I was reading this week uh, from the Wharton School of Business, uh, the chairman of the department there. He said, you know, there's three types of people. And it was interesting as I read through Scripture. This just qualified so well. So there's three types of people in the world today. First of all, there's takers. We all know some takers, don't no. If you have children, you've got at least one taker. Maybe you've got a dozen. I don't know. We all have somebody's a taker in life. What's a taker? A taker is somebody who always wants, but they never give back. They take, they consume, but they never give. So sometimes there are takers in our lives. You probably work with a taker, maybe. Maybe you're the taker. If you can't find one in the room, maybe it's you. I don't know. Uh, Don't point fingers. So sometimes there are takers. Secondly, 
there are what we call matchers. Matchers. Quite frankly, that's what most people kind of find themselves being. Okay, I'm going to help you, and then you help me. And you kind of keep an account of what's been given, and you try to make sure, you, you think, well, you know, they didn't send me a Christmas card. I'm not sending them one. They didn't give me a gift. I'm not giving them one. Now, they, oh, they gave us a card. Let's send them a card. By the way, we don't do cards at our house. We don't do Christmas cards for all of you who thought you got left out. You know, at the end of the year, I think we send some little email out. I, it just doesn't work for us because half of you are going to be mad at us, and then the other half, we're not going to remember we sent you a card. So we just made the spiritual decision to follow the Lord and not give Christmas cards, okay? You do what you want to do. That's the way it works for us. Because I'm tired of people being mad because you didn't get a Christmas card. So none of you get one. All right, so aren't you glad I shared that today? Nevertheless, a lot of us were that way, aren't we? We're trying to match. And you even see people trying to match with God. God, you do this, I'll do this. I'll give this. If you give me that, I'm going to do it. I remember when we were first starting. Remember, I was at the pool all the time uh, meeting people. When we were first starting the first few months, I remember two different guys come up and they said, you're pastor, right? Hey, man, I'm playing a lottery right now. If you don't mind just saying a little prayer, if I win, I'm going to give you part of that. Two different guys said that. One of them was drunk. But um, I'm going to give to you. You know, I didn't have the guts to say, well, if I don't do that, why don't I just play and I'll take it all. You know what I mean? Uh, but sometimes we get in that mentality, God, I'm going to do this. You make me rich, and you can get rich too, God. You can profit too. And I think he must just laugh at us. Here's the real truth. God doesn't, he didn't have to have our money. He's not going broke. It's not about him. It's about your heart. It's about us learning to trust him on the journey, okay? He's going to be fine. Nobody's calling his note, all right? Thirdly, they're givers. That's really, we all, all are classified. And when people think about you, they think about you in one of those three ways. But probably not consciously, but subconsciously. That person's a giver. That person's a taker, or they're a matcher. And that's kind of the way our culture works. And you see people approaching Scripture, approaching God in that same mentality. Take God, give me. God, you didn't do this for me. I'm not helping. I'm not coming anymore. I'm not doing anything else because you haven't, you haven't given me what I wanted. That's a taker mentality. Matcher, God, you know, I gave this. I'm going to wait till you come through here. I know you will. And then I'll do this, and you do this. And this is a symbiotic relationship. This can work very well for us. We think he's an investor or something. And then there are givers. Say, God, I recognize who you are and that everything has come from your hand. So I'm giving as an act of worship, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of obedience. I give unto you. I was telling you about that Wharton Business School professor. It was interesting he found out. You know who are at, you know who, what group is at the top and what group is at the bottom of those who they deem highly successful is they begin to uh, talk to corporations. And these were corporations, not just money, but where their employees said, we are very successful. This is a great environment. Uh, our CEOs were doing very well and it had most, made the most impact. They did the same thing with sales, uh, found this to be true of salesmen. You know who was at the top of the list on people who succeeded in the most dramatic ways, it, they were givers. You know who was at the very bottom? Givers. Isn't that interesting? So there were givers at the top and givers at the bottom. Now, what does that tell me right there? 
It, it tells me that there's two types of givings, and Scripture talks about that. There's, there's people who are wise where they're giving, and there are people who just give and don't think about it. Just go. Well, that happened? Okay. Roll down, the, roll down the window, throw some money, and get away from it. You know what I mean? And we start doing that. And what they found out in work, particularly among, one of the studies they did were amongst engineers. And they found out the people who, who always, every time something came up, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, you want to do this? Hey, can you do that? The people who said yes every time were the people who obtained the lowest scores from their evaluations. Because they were always saying yes to everything. So what's the difference? What they found the difference was were those who had boundaries, who systematically gave, who made conscious, who, who did background checks, who checked and didn't just move by emotion each time, but had a systematic plan. They had it planned into their budget, so to speak. What do I mean by their budget? Well, someone would say, you know what? I'm going to be available to anybody that needs me from these hours, from one to four on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I want to be available to my employees. I want to be inv- available to my board. I'm going to make myself available, and I'm going to give of my time and of my knowledge during that time. So that's number one. They had set times. Number two, they said, I'm only going to give my time to people who are using it wisely. In other words, uh, I'm, and by the way, I do this as a pastor. I'm going to just go ahead and give you my counseling uh, techniques right now. So I'm just going to kind of expose myself. I probably won't do this in the next service, uh, but I'm just going to tell you how I do this. Number one, on Mondays, you don't, it'll be very hard to get a hold of me because I turn off my phone, and that's study day. Uh, 70% of all my sermon preparation happens on Sunday. Uh, excuse me, on Monday. So I turn it off. It's going to be a day where I just pray and study. I have to do that. If not, you know what? The phone rings about 15 times. You know, I've had people call and say, is there any way you could come help us find our cat? That's who you call. You call a pastor when you can't find your darn cat. Okay, so I mean, I will get calls about everything at that point. And I got to decide what's most important, all right? And, and, and you do that too. The second aspect of being wise with your giving it's in giving of your time is, okay, I'm, I'm going to meet with folks, but inevitably we're going to meet once or twice, and then I'm going to say, here are a couple things I need you to do. You know the sad fact that I find? I find out most people won't do those couple of things. I want you to memorize this verse, and I want you to begin reading this book. I, I, this Nine out of ten times, and I'm sorry if you're here and you feel, feel convicted uh, today, but would you take these steps? And what I find, most people don't take those steps, and then I'll have to go, you know, I can't meet with you again until you take those steps. Same thing happens a lot of times in, in counseling, which, by the way, I'm not a real counselor, okay? I've seen one on TV, I've stayed a holiday in, but I'm not a real counselor, all right? Uh, but what I do is spiritual counseling, and, and I, then I try to move people to the counseling that they, they need. But I have to be wise with that. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16? I think this is a verse every businessman ought to, ought to look at, ought to memorize. You are to be as wise as serpent, but innocent as doves. Wise. Be wise with how you give. Be wise with how you spend your time. Don't just be a taker. Don't just be a matcher, but be wise. So I, want to ho- I hope you will reconsider your whole mentality to being a giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. He loves someone who is wise and, and smart and plans and thinks about it, and then yet still trust him. Say, God, I'm going to give even when it doesn't make sense because I've committed, I've trusted. I'm going to do the things. I'm going to spend appropriately. I'm going to have a budget. I'm going to trust you in some areas, but God, I'm going to be faithful with all that you've given me. We see great examples of that in Scripture. We see people who are wise and unwise. I don't have time to go through all the unwise ones, but Abraham was wise. 
you see as he gave to Lot, he recognized, you know what, there's not enough land here for both of our, our flocks to graze, so which way you go one way, I'll go the other. He was wise. Boaz. Boaz would leave enough money for the poor, and he would leave, or leave enough grain for those who were in need. Uh, Anesphorus in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about how he ministered to him and how he helped him. The good Samaritan, he was wise. He, he had the resources to help. He saw someone in need, and he took him where? To the end and said, you take care of him. I'm going to go and deal with my business. Now, someone unwise might have just forgot about their business obligations and said, you, you kind of had two choices. Just forget about him. I don't have time. I'm busy. That'd be the wrong choice. That's what the hypocrites did. Or might have been unwise to say, all right, I've got to spend my next three or four days here. What did he do? He put him in a place where he did all that he could, and he said, I'll come back later. There's some things that I need to take care of as well. He used wisdom. He was shrewd. You might even want to use that word. So the question becomes, there's really four choices, aren't there? We're either takers, we're consumers, we're unwise givers. We give just every time we feel, feel like doing something. We give emotionally. Or we're shrewd and we're wise. If you need to look, let me say this, if you need to look at how our church spends the money, you're welcome to do it. We have elders here, Alan, the guy that does numbers, um, that does the announcements. You're welcome to sit down and look at that anytime that you want to. Those are open. Uh, You can ask me, and I'll make something up. But if you want a real answer, I would go sit down with them and and say, hey, we'd like to know what's going on. I, I encourage you to do that. Sometimes people say, well, if I knew where it was going, well, you can find out where it's going. You're aware of most of the ministries that, that we support. There's the ministry right here, but there's also uh, ministries from everything from men in Nehemiah uh, to Haiti to orphanages that we're supporting there. We've got a group, uh, 40 people on a mission trip right now. There are five people on the field. Uh, we've had multiple church planners go out of here. We also support CCA, Salvation Army, and uh, numerous local community involvements. There are things that we're doing to make an impact, and I feel like you can do this. I feel like you can trust the leadership of our elder board. I think you can trust them. And if you don't know them, get to know them. They're open to meeting with you between 3 and 5 on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Anyway, whenever it is, they'll, they'll meet. I believe our church is making an impact. I believe in the vision that God has given us to receive, to equip, to impact sin. You know, a couple of dinner with pastor. Matter of fact, we just had a great dinner with pastor last week. Uh, a, couple of, a couple of months ago, we had a dinner with the pastor. We went around, and I, asked, I said, tell us your background. Tell us kind of your church background. Uh, two of them said, I, we don't have one. Uh, another two said they were, um, I believe, Assembly of God. Another two, Methodist, a couple of Catholic. And then two people said, Jewish. That's our background. And we're just checking things out. Our children have been invited here. And that's where we are. I believe that God is using our church to make an impact. And there are needs here. There are needs in our children, our preschool ministry. We want to, again, pay off the debt that we have so that we can maximize what we give. So we encourage you to do that through the journey. But I tell you this, I can promise you uh, that there's an accountability and that God is using this church. You have to decide if you're supposed to belong here or not. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're thinking, this is not for me. Matter of fact, I don't even like the way you preach. You might want to go somewhere else. Okay, I get that. Sometimes God leads people to other places. You may go, I hate the music. We actually have three different forms of music. We have a classic like we did today, 
next hour is a little more contemporary blended and then a more modern on Saturday night. So if that's it, if you're not happy with one of those music, guess what? You're not going to be happy anywhere you go. All right, so I'll just go ahead and give you the sign right now. It ain't them, it's you, all right? But what is God leading you to do? What are the steps that he is leading you to take? To believe, to belong, or to become? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. We thank you for this great opportunity to worship and you to know. We thank you for the opportunity to give to your kingdom because we believe, because we belong, and because we long to worship you and give you the praise and the honor that you deserve. God, it is an opportunity for us to recognize that every good gift comes from your hand. So as we give this morning, we do so faithfully with joy in our hearts. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given, and we look forward to what you'll do in the days ahead as as we are faithful. Uh, Lord, let some of us quit saying, are we there yet, and start with a step that is right before us. And I pray that for those who don't know you, that you would draw them today, that they would come and know your salvation. For the believer who is just existing, that they would take the this next step to belong. For the one who belongs but is not serving and giving, I pray today would be the day. Lord, where do you need me? And Lord, hear my resources as you need them, God. I give them to you freely as an offering. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.